Hello and welcome to The Good, The Bad and The Advertising, the show where we ask, if the world were our client, what would the brief be? I am, as usual, joined by my fabulous co-host, Dino Myers-Lamperty, and our special guest this week is Sarah Salter. Having worked both client-side as a marketeer and agency-side as the head of innovation for Wavemaker, Sarah certainly isn't afraid of getting stuck into a new juicy challenge, and so is the perfect person to join us today. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. All right, well, let's get stuck in. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about something that I actually feel kind of conflicted about. We're going to be talking about libraries. When I was little, we used to go to the library after school so I could do my homework and pick out a few new books. And after my homework was finished as a treat, I could always choose one VCR to take home for the weekend. And I remember every single week, always, it was 101 Dalmatians. Literally, same film every single week. So libraries have personally made me a better citizen, a more well-rounded, more Dalmatian-friendly citizen. But today, as a founder of a tech startup in a fast-moving, ever-changing advertising industry, I fundamentally don't believe in resisting progress or propping up dying industries. And when I read that library attendance has plummeted, I wonder, are they worth saving? Use of public libraries in the UK is 70% less than it was in the year 2000, whilst in the US, physical library visits declined 3% every year for the past seven years. I should counter that narrative by pointing out that the pandemic has seen an interesting reversal in that trend. Libraries Connected reported ebook borrowing increased by 146% since March of last year. So either way... There's no doubt that they are sacred building blocks at the heart of our society. Libraries have been a part of almost every civilization for the last thousand years. Libraries stayed open during the Blitz. More recently, library workers were deemed essential workers by the government during UK lockdown. And yet in the last decade, Britain has closed almost a fifth of our libraries. 10,000 library workers have lost their jobs since 2010 and funding has been cut by 30%. So something, somewhere, is broken. And I'm going to end this introduction with a wonderful quote from Caitlin Moran, the comedian and writer, because she articulated the wonder of a library better than I ever could. A library in the middle of a community is a cross between an emergency exit, a life raft, and a festival. They are cathedrals of the mind, hospitals of the soul, theme parks of the imagination. On a cold, rainy island, they are the only sheltered public spaces where you're not a consumer, you are a citizen. Shops are places where your money make the wealthy wealthier, but a library is where the wealthy's taxes pay for you to become a little bit more extraordinary, a satisfying reversal, a balancing of power. So how are we going to save libraries? That is absolutely beautiful. And you know what, you've made me get a little bit more excited about libraries. I haven't. Caitlin has. Well, Caitlin's done very well there. I was going to throw in the question about whether we were all equally excited about libraries. You know, the idea of the library is very nice, but um, when was the last time you actually went into a library, you personally? Yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um, And I loved Amy's kind of intro to why she loved a library growing up, and I think I'm the same. There was this one audio book called Flossy Tea Cakes Fur Coat, and this... (laughs) This girl put on a fur coat and she became a grown-up and got to go into all these worlds. And I think it really helped like build my creativity and imagination and I loved it. Um, 
But actually then pretty much after that, I stopped going to libraries Mm -hmm. until university. And then after university, I stopped. And then when I had my first child, they did these kind of community music events. And I did that a couple of times, which I I thought was awesome and, and certainly kind of helped with the loneliness of having children at home. So, I mean, I feel quite passionately about the times that libraries have been there to support me and what they can do for people. But when I think about a library, I think about how staid and old and you do kind of think about the musty smell of books, don't you? It's, it is very nostalgic. And I think that's where libraries have the power to really kind of change and think about going forward. How do they, how do they really think about what the future looks like for them? When was the last time you were in a library, Dino? Well, okay, so I've got quite a good story about relatively recently going to libraries. So I'm a member of the RSA and they've got a little library in there. So it's, you know, that's kind of like a place you just go if you want to work, you know, in silence. But it's it's a matter of a a bunch of desks in a room. So, you know, that that doesn't really count, although it's a nice place with lots of creative books. But um, I had to go into a library just because of uh, it was the only option, really, when I was um, I was I was doing a pitch to uh, Kent County Council for funding. And I turned up in Maidstone and I realized at the time on the way there that um, I hadn't printed out the 15 copies of the presentation that they wanted me to print out to give to everyone in a room. And 15 copies of a presentation is a lot of paper. It's a lot of wasted paper. So I was there thinking, oh, you know, surely, you know, they would have some printer there or something. Or something will just like, you know, sort itself out. And then I thought, okay, no, actually, I've got to run around and find a printer somewhere. So I went into, went down the high street looking around, couldn't find anything, went into some kind of like, you know, one of these kind of quick print type shops. And uh, it was something like £1.50 a, a, a sheet of, uh, of paper to, to copy a colour sheet of paper. So I was like, right, this is going to cost me about 300 quid or something or more, maybe. I was like, no, there's got to be a better option. Um, <laughs> surely they just don't need copies of my presentation I'm about to present. And, um, and then someone said to me, oh, you could try the library. So I walked across Maidstone, went to this library, which was relatively close, but it was still, you know, time was getting tight. And then I went to this like beautiful building, uh, looked around, there were computers, all this, all this stuff. And, and then I said, oh, can I just use the printer? And they said, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, um, and then they were like, oh, but um, have you got an account, like a library account? I said, no. So then I had to sign up for a library account, you know, 10 minutes later, um, I go and sit down at the computer and I try and use this computer, which was the slowest, worst, most terriblest thing in the world. <laughs> It took about five minutes to turn itself on. And then um, uh, I tried to print and it was just like the most laborious thing. It just took forever. I mean, it was basically taking, it would have taken probably 10 minutes to print out, you know, a couple of copies of my presentation. So I just kind of like, you know, whatever, cut it off and said, sub this, I'm just going in cold. And uh, and I went in and I just, I, you know, I asked them in there, I said, have you got a printer to print off some more copies? And they said, no, but uh, it was fine. They, 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 they didn't really need the copies anyway. That was the irony of it all. Um, but the, my, my main point about the library experience was, you know, it was just kind of like um, love hate thing. It was like beautiful building, beautiful place. I was like, yes, this is going to solve all my problems. You know, yeah, of course, the library should have a printer that you could just, you know, I was expecting copies to be about, you know, five, ten p or whatever it was, and uh, and then went there. But it was it was the the way the place worked that was the frustrating thing. It was just like so old school and stale in a sense that such a bad experience in the end that I would have never gone back there again which was the irony of it, because it was like, it should be there for that reason. It should be there as a public resource to make things like that very, very easy for people. 
and and not mean that you know you have to go and spend you know one pound fifty a copy in you know the, the local commercial shop or something. So yeah, it was a bit of um, it's quite a, it's quite a good experience of understanding how libraries work, but also understanding the problems of libraries. Yeah, it's really true. I think um, when I knew we were talking about this topic, I kind of went and looked at who was doing libraries well, and looked at some of the countries that are really seeing either an uplift in libraries or have really kind of changed what they look like. And it was quite interesting, actually, because different countries were doing really different things and seeing different successes. So in parts of America, they're now building libraries into social housing, which I thought was really interesting. And they were putting um, different uh, e-education things in to help people learn. In Finland, um, for just 650,000 people, their population, there are 850 free libraries, which is huge. And what they did, which I thought was really interesting, was they put it out to the people. And they essentially had a huge mass questionnaire that asked people what they want out of their libraries. And people wanted, you know, to rent sewing machines, to hire them out for birthday parties, to have places where they could read quiet magazines and and these spaces have become quite um, fundamental to communities because they're delivering exactly what the community wants. I love that in terms of, you know, changing the use of what libraries are for. And I was going to say that I think that one of the big problems I have with libraries, certainly I had a, as a kid in a sense, is just how quiet they are and just how forced quiet you have to be in a sense in every single part of that library. And I wonder whether there's a way of just, you know, making quiet zones, but also having zones that, are, you know, that you can actually talk because let's face it, that's that's the majority of the way we work. You know, even when we read, it's never, you know, well, most of the time it's not pure silence. And and I think that's the intimidating thing about it. Like I would never go into library with my kids because they just wouldn't be able to keep quiet. You know, that that is the reason why, you know, kids from a certain age, you just write it off, then you? you just it's just no chance. The idea of something that's a bit more vibrant, a bit more kind of like you could turn up and, you know, just work, you know, in terms of normally, but you're just surrounded by incredible books you might tap into I like that idea and I would use that as a thing but in terms of going into somewhere where I, I deliberately need perfect silence unless I was researching for something really quite bizarre that I thought okay I have to go beyond the internet and I also need like no distractions for like a whole day I, I find it a very odd kind of reason to go into a library now yeah it's so true isn't it yeah I think everybody's reasons have changed and one of the things the pandemic shown us is that everybody has different needs from their workspace, their social space. You know, the other example I was going to give I loved was in Canada. And Canada have done, obviously being an innovation, this is hugely a big passion point, but they've really embraced the future. And they have added robot tech labs, 3D printers, well-staffed wow. podcasting studios. Oh, wow. Um, 66% of the population in Vancouver own a library card. Wow. I mean, that's huge. That's how you do it. I, a 3D printer is a perfect example of what a library should have. It's one of those things that you just want to play with, don't you? you just want to give it a go. You're never going to buy one yourself. I mean, we need to get more positive about libraries, I think, in terms of the actual real kind of benefit of libraries. I mean, I'm thinking there's a, there's a social benefit in terms of you know, people that can't necessarily afford very, very many books, but what other reasons do you think? Uh, we should be getting excited about the idea of keeping libraries? Very good question. So the first thing on this point is 
they're actually a very good deal for the taxpayer. And I think this is something that's never communicated. So libraries, they normally cost on average 0.6% of a council's budget. And research carried out by um, Moore, Kingston and Smith, they're, they're an accounting firm. They work with a charity that supports libraries here in London. And they found that when they focused on three core activities that, that libraries offer, aimed at engaging preschool children, engaging over 55s, and engaging in people interested in improving well-being and mental health, so those three categories, for every pound spent on the library, the country gets eight pounds of social value in terms of mental wellness and inclusion and community and support for preschool children. So one pound in, eight pounds out, and it only costs 0.6% of the budget. So the majority of people in libraries today are volunteers. It is not an expensive thing for our society, and the ROI is evident. And in terms of the things libraries offer, there's reading and literacy uh, and education. Health and well-being is an important one. It's somewhere safe and warm and welcoming, where you can engage with other people. Learning and employability is a big focus. They do a lot with people looking to upskill or um, gain professional skills, you know, people that perhaps need to help applying for new jobs. They do a lot in digital inclusion, free computers, free Wi-Fi, access to the internet, as well as skills training. They do business support. They support local businesses. And they also do a lot in culture and creativity, you know, book clubs, art clubs, community centers, cultural experiences. They really enrich the cultural fabric of a community. I'm going to throw out there. Do you think that librarians are a problem? <laughs> I mean, just in terms of... <laughs> I'm not judging. I'm not judging them. All librarians. When I think of one of the major barriers, you know, it's a bit like, the, you know, the, the, the headmaster or the headmistress that you just don't want to have to engage with. And the librarian was always the, um, the gatekeeper behind, you know, the, the, all that kind of wealth of knowledge in the library. And that is a barrier, I think. That is a big, big barrier because they, they look down at you they don't, they never like you. And you're always making too much noise, even by asking a question. This coming from a man that hasn't been in a library in 10 years, except to be annoyed at a computer. <laughs> I would look down at you and be annoyed at you. Uh, you well, exactly. <laughs> Maybe you should be a librarian. But uh, the, um, I, I think that, you know, I mean, if, if there's ever a job that can be replaced by a computer, it is the librarian job. And actually, funny enough, I met someone the other day you know, virtually, of course, you don't meet people in real life these days, do you? Who uh, did a course in being a librarian course, as, as in, you know, it used to be oh. a degree or something, which you could study uh, the art of being a librarian. And this was pre-Google days. So, you know, when finding information was probably one of the most rarest kind of like most skilled kind of professions as such, you know, he still does research now, but he was like, yeah, it was a, it was a rare, it's a rare thing now. And, it's, and I thought to myself, that's, that's it's a skill, it's a, it's a great skill. And actually reminds me of a talk that I saw from Malcolm Gladwell uh, when he was asked a question about how he, he finds his, you know, his insight and his information, his stories and, and what he does and, and, and what he thinks about the Internet and such. And he basically talked about how, you know, the Internet was, was kind of great for many, many reasons. But actually, as a journalist, you know, it's often the stuff that Google doesn't find that you've got to try and find. You know, because mm. everyone can find the stuff on Google. But Google, you know, Google doesn't have everything or doesn't bring everything to the surface. And actually, the really interesting things, or certainly in terms of the things that make people stop and go, oh, that's unique. I haven't heard that story before. Are the stuff that are not on, you know, page one, two, three, four, five, or whatever of Google. You got to, you know, you got to go to other sources. And that's why places like libraries are probably going to be, you know, the kind of places that you'll find 
those books that haven't been scanned yet. But just to loop it back to the killing off the librarian, I do think the idea of when you go into a, a library, I mean, the British Library is an amazing place, you know, and if, if you haven't been there, I mean, just go, you know, that's kind of like a day out. And um, it, when you go inside there, I do feel like almost, you know, you don't need a librarian. You should be able to search for the, the, the volume of books yourself and really kind of some kind of intricate, nice, you know, app or something. I am going to stand up for the librarian here, Dino. <laughs> so I'll tell you my two experiences. One was at school <laughs> and there was an incredible librarian. And yes, she probably wasn't there to know all of the information to help you search. And I certainly think you can automate that piece. But she came into our school and she read children's books and her voices were incredible. And it stayed in my mind for about 20 years. And I was like, oh, I want to be her. I want to do voices. <laughs> I think there's different parts to librarian, right? And the other part was when I was saying I went in with my youngest to do kind of the music classes. And they were just so kind and chatty. And it felt, and it's a community local library. And there was just lovely conversation. They made me feel so welcome. And it, you know, I found out what was going on locally in the community. And, and, it just felt so welcoming. So I think there are certain parts of the librarian job like search where you can definitely automate, but that welcoming experience and that, you know, librarian bringing those stories to life, like you, you need librarians for that, right? It sounds like you had a, an incredible librarian who wasn't really a librarian. It sounds like she was probably an actress waiting to uh, get out of <laughs> the, really uh, the library any moment, any moment she could. <laughs> Um, because let's face it, she wouldn't have been allowed to do that in a library. And that's the irony of it. You know, she, she, uh, she would have been told to keep quiet. And I think that, you know, that's almost what you need in libraries. You know, you need people with amazing voices and experiences and things that kind of really get you into books. You, you need people that love certain sections, giving you tours of certain sections, telling you about, you know, what the history section is all about. And they're the most fascinating books that are in there. You, you need that, don't you? You need conversation and excitement around, around the corridors, not just, um, you know, very silently dealing with your specific request because you know exactly what you want and, uh, you know, you just don't know where to find it. So, yeah, I, lo I love that. I love that kind of inspiring librarian. What I'm hearing here is a discrepancy between the perception of libraries and the experience, right? Like, Dino, you're describing the archetype library, you know, the one that would be in the the one that would be in the films, the, the dusty, silent bookshelves and the scary librarian. And Sarah, you're describing this wonderful community place. <laughs> the majority of libraries anyone's no, ever been to. No, that's not true. <laughs> I mean, like... Okay, well then, well, this is the debate. Is the brief about changing perception and is it about sort of rebranding a library as something more accessible and more relevant to, to modern life? Or is it about changing libraries? Is it about changing the experience itself? Like, which one do we want to focus on here? It's a very tricky question. Yeah, I would say that the uh, change in the perception is something that it's almost like an impossible task. It's a campaign that you could probably you know, increase the footfall for a, a, a couple of weeks. And then people will realize that when they go into that same old stuffy library, that it's, uh, you know, they're not allowed to talk. They're not allowed to, you know, whatever. Well, it's difficult to find what they want. Their kids get told off and they quickly leave embarrassed and never return. I, I think while you could have fun with changing the perception, uh, I think there's few and far between kind of examples, you know, places like the British Library, which are great. You know, there's few examples of great libraries that you could really, you know, know that if anyone goes down, they're going to have a fantastic experience. I think the majority are 
dusty and a failing NR somewhere in town that no one really knows or cares about. And they need a, a real kind of like a, an actual product change. And I think actually changing the experience is ultimately going to do part of the perception job, right? Um, so yeah, I feel like that's the best place to start as well. Okay, sounds like we're looking into a brief then. Changing the experience of libraries, making libraries more relevant to a broader audience, to a modern lifestyle. So I suppose in line with that, our target audience is the people who currently don't feel that libraries address their needs or are relevant to them, right? Perhaps we could focus in on a sort of working professional group. Yeah, that's a really good group to start with. And actually, I think, you know, one thing the pandemic has done is change people's routines and their behavior, right? And if I think about the time I have, being able to get to a library is near impossible or was near impossible. But actually, is there an opportunity to create like a new moment to go into libraries? You know, is there something for working professionals where in that kind of week routine where you can start to think, actually, this is this is the time that I should go visit a library? There's loads of possible ways to go with this brief. It's a great brief. So let's kick off with zero pounds budget. What would we do if you had to hustle and get something off the ground without any money? I would say, I think what's what's been really interesting as well is looking at, you know, during COVID, especially the demise of the high street and bookshops. And there's less than, I think, a thousand bookshops in the UK now. So those big authors don't have anywhere to go and launch their books, whether it's locally, whether it's nationally. Mm -hmm. So for me, getting those big authors to actually change the way that they launch their books and go into the libraries, those local communities and, and launch them in those libraries could really kind of be a great way to start our zero pound budget. I like that. Draws people in, gets them experiencing the space. Yeah. The, uh, I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of thoughts. I mean, one was sparked off by Sarah's, uh, you know, amazing celebrity actress, uh, librarian, <laughs> which was um, literally just to advertise for more in, in, uh, engaging, entertaining librarians and do a bit of a campaign that actually show, showcases that there, there are actually some interesting people that are just not the ones that you might have come across in your past. And they are kind of like, you know, waiting to kind of like entertain you in a library to some degree. I like that kind of idea of, you know, just showing, uh, you know, repositioning who's actually in there in a sense and actually mm. you know, making it, taking away that kind of intimidation of the, of the, the, the thought of the people in there. The actual kind of free idea I probably put in, I mean, this is a bit wacky, all right, okay. but I'm going to throw it in there. <laughs> well, what about we reverse the uh, the idea of, of, of libraries being silent places and made them, you know, kind of, you know, vibrant places and, and actually the the people that wanted silence were actually given, you know, soundproofing ear kind of guards or they, they went into small little booths to, you know, have those kind of like, you know, isolated study kind of areas. But actually the whole place was just vibrant. The whole place, I mean, it was more, you know, think of it more as kind of coffee shop with books. So, you know, you don't feel odd by, you know, whatever, your phone kind of suddenly buzzing or something. I think that, you know, you have to make it a little bit more like normal life in a sense for people just to use it normally. You know, these kind of like, you know, co-working spaces and things like that, you know, ultimately it's a bit, you know, you need needs to be a bit more like that, but just, you know, lots and lots of books around and access to things uh, and a place where, and a place in the space where people can collaborate and meet people and actually kind of get together. So 
it's in a weird way you're changing a library into a bit of a co-working space with books so i would uh you know this is and this is getting around the brief a little bit because it's a bit of a, a use case kind of change it's like i'm saying put music and and make them you know obviously a place where you know you're encouraging conversation but actually you know create spaces that are the opposite within libraries for the people that really do want to get away and you know have that kind of like silent kind of learning why this is a free idea in a sense is because it's about redesign and about just repositioning and, and then hopefully the word of mouth will get out there very very quickly about actually you know go and hang out in the library because it's you know it's a great place to work I think that's interesting, that idea, because going back to what we discussed earlier, that everybody wants something different out of a space, right? I do think the idea of doing like a mass questionnaire, a bit like, you know, they did in Canada and different places, to really understand what people want out of the library, whether it's like Mm -hmm. a WhatsApp questionnaire and, you know, you work to find out kind of the key three, four things that people want in their community. I don't know about you, but I used to read alone a lot. And now the only way I get to read is if it's part of a book club or it's like a group reading activity. I have this group on a Tuesday and we, I mean, we all pretend that we've read the chapter, but really we just fill each other in on the chapter (laughs) because normally only one or two of us has read it. But I love the idea of actually, you know, having those spaces for book clubs as well. And like, could you, you know, you always only get one copy in a library. Could we start like a book club corner where you have six copies of everything? Yeah. I just think that the, I like the idea of just really thinking about actually what do all these different individuals want and how could you use that to think about how you transform the space. That very simple reframing and redesign would really change the appeal. I think that's a really good shout. So my free idea is predicated on, I was sort of inspired by the Catlin Moran quote actually, and this this idea that libraries are this wonderful universal democratic temple of knowledge. The opposite of that is is a university, right? Universities are very prestigious and exclusive and expensive. And so I was thinking you could kind of, you could frame libraries as the university of all. It's everyone's university and you don't need any qualifications to go. You don't need any special social status. You just walk in and you can learn. And so I would do a bit of a campaign. I would reach out to the top sort of C-suite leaders across the UK, some really high profile CEOs or CMOs and I would invite them to put the University of All as their education on their LinkedIn and so it would be a simple outreach campaign that wouldn't cost you anything that invites people if they like me have a a memory of being in a library as a child add it to your LinkedIn education and that should create a little bit of a trickle-down effect where people are proud of supporting the local library and people consider the impact that it's had on you know their journey to to success and the journey to where they are today. I love that. Part of the research that I was doing, I was thinking about this, was um, thinking about group study as well. And, you know, I'm a little bit obsessed at the moment with the idea of um, of changing people's fortunes by resitting exams, you know, like GCSEs and A-levels. Oh. And, uh, yeah, the, the idea that it's just in my mind is just the fact that so few people do it, too few people do it. And, and actually, that's mm. the point at which kind of makes or breaks their future. And at the time, it seems like the biggest thing in the world to move on with your peers at the same time, the same pace. But actually, just taking a few months out or, you know, whatever it might be to, to reset uh, could probably change someone's destiny forever. If you have a go at anything twice, you'll be much better, at, you know, the, the next time. So, you know, you're guaranteed improvement in a sense. But this idea of um, where can you congregate people to do a reset or something like that or to, you know, to feel part of a, 
you know, socially included in the sense that so you're not just on your own doing it and feeling like the dunce that has failed. Things like libraries could be used for things like that. It could be, you know, you could have this kind of like intense kind of like, you know, out of season school to just, you know, get people back on track. The the one thing that uh, keeps striking me coming out of all of this is that libraries are very much positioned as solo spaces for us to go in as individuals and learn yeah and actually out of all of this it keeps making me think how do you make it a more connected space how do you make it about bringing communities together and it made me think of this awesome startup that came out of Bristol I don't know if you've heard of helpful peeps it's really nice and essentially people post up what they need help with and they're paired with people who can help them so it could be anything, you know, like I'm I'm going away. Could someone put my bins out for me? It, you know, any of those type of things. Yeah. And I love the idea of pairing up people in libraries, right? Like what if you could pair up somebody who needs some help with GCSE maps? What if you could pair up somebody who needs someone to talk to when they've got a six-month-year-old kid and just needs to get out of the house? Like what are all those incredible reasons that people might want to go to a library? And it just takes it from that kind of solo to community. And I think that feels like such a a great space to play in. Absolutely. Okay, so taking that inspiration and thinking about moving it from solo to community, now you have infinite money. Now your budget is uh, the what would Jeff Bezos do question. How would you redesign or reframe libraries to make them more relevant today? This is a slightly tougher one, I think, actually, weirdly. Because I think that in terms of in many ways, libraries, well, the best of libraries have so much in many ways. You're always a bit amazed by just how much you know, kind of libraries have in them. So it's almost like um, you don't really go there thinking, oh, it's, it's missing something. But I think taking some inspiration from you know, what Sarah said in terms of what they did in Vancouver, if you redesign a library, you could definitely you know, have it as a place for you know, lots more things. And, and I think that you've got to throw money at that problem, in a sense, in terms of make it more resourceful in that sense. Um, yeah. I would have a, a, a section of a library that was all about free books and uh, was like a free book exchange. Books shouldn't be hoarded, really, should they? They should just be kind of like, you know, shared. I think I love that your fundamentally your solution is give libraries more funding. And it does feel like libraries are a very rare example where build it and they will come applies. If you give libraries more funding, more people will go to them. Super simple. Yeah. They also need good coffee shops as well. Yeah, that's a very good point. <laughs> I like the idea of having local coffee shops work with the local libraries. Yeah. Do you remember when you used to be able to go into a bookshop and have a coffee and look at the new books? It just used to, uh, just that smell mm. of coffee as you walk into a bookshop. God, I miss that. Mm. I it's a really hard one I agree with you because actually I think less money and more community driven and and all of those things that we talked about might be the answer I think there are a couple or maybe three things I'd look at one is even when you think about the the British Library it's quite traditional and it's quite it's beautiful but it's beautiful and traditional and I wonder if we take inspiration from what they've done in China which is build these incredible, sustainable, modern new spaces? And how do you build something like that that almost becomes a hero space that other libraries want to follow and becomes Instagrammable, becomes relevant to that younger audience potentially and, and changes that, that perception? 
So I think one is build a hero space. The other I talked about um, earlier, but how do we punctuate the day or the week with a new moment? We think about new moments being like the Diet Coke break or those moments where brands have really kind of owned. And is there something where the library can really own, you know, the the lunchtime read? Or I, re- I remember mm. I worked for Equinox um, over in the US and um, they used to have this class at lunchtime, which was basically um, for people to sleep for an hour and recharge and meditate. And it was one of the most <laughs> popular classes. And it just makes you think that actually, you know, if you force yourself to go and do something and it becomes a moment, it becomes a part of, like, do we rebrand libraries to be mind gyms, for example, where you go and learn? Yeah. Like, is it a rebranding from the word library even? Interesting. I, li- I, li- I like that a lot, actually. I'm just going to jump on that a little bit, Sarah, as well, because you sparked off a, a thought, which was, um, I like the idea of using the spaces of libraries to bring some of the books to life as well. So, you know, I don't know if you've ever come across something like the Gruffalo Trail, which are in a number of different places, you know, out in the, you know, whatever, certain kind of forests and woods. But, you, you know, you kind of like think that, okay, well, things like that, shouldn't they exist in libraries as well? You know, wouldn't it be great if you could go into a library and you could climb a wall to get a book or climb a beanstalk to get a book or something Love you know, that. as a kid, you know, and then you know, tell the story of the book in its display? You almost need budget to make the place a little bit more kind of exciting in that sense. And, uh, you know, if you put this in the hands of the Selfridges kind of, you know, window designers, for example, or, you know, retailers who are constantly just trying to draw people in, you know, what would happen then? I think that is, that's probably quite exciting because if, you, if it was a space that you thought, I've always got to go there because they're going to have something new, something different that is going to get my kid or me you know, really interested yeah. and excited about, about books again or about that particular book. Um, I really like that. And that could be tied into the, that kind of, you know, author launch thing as well. I think what's mm. interesting about that is um, like as we think about the senses, right, we have so much more opportunity with tech to pull on those senses and whether it's, you know, building a beanstalk or there's another great startup on Amazon called Novel Effects where a parent or, or a, anybody can read along with a child essentially and uh, the audio tracks so that it can bring the book to life through sound effects. So you're not replacing, you know, reading a story to your kid with Alexa, but you're bringing that story to life by by sound effects. And I just think there's so much incredible technology that can just make that experience so much more memorable and impactful. But yeah, if yeah. you could build that into a library, oh, that would be amazing. My suggestion for the sort of million pound plus budget was inspired by how churches have managed to stay relevant and there are some fantastic examples of churches around the UK and specifically in London I'm thinking where they've used their space as gig venues so um, you know the Union Chapel in Islington is always a very um, iconic example beautiful space amazing acoustics having a gig in Union Chapel is just such a wonderful experience and um, and the, the museums as well have also sort of rebranded their spaces by doing the lates the v Late, the Tate Late, the Science Museum, I think, does one. I mean, London Zoo does one. You can have a PIMS and look at a tiger. <laughs> so I'm kind of thinking, like, could we create a an event series for libraries, a library late, right, where um, we could partner with Time Out, we could partner with local universities and put together a series of lectures or debates 
where you know it is it is that sort of mind gym it's food for the soul it is bringing community in but it's also first date worthy you know it's also cool and it's a, it's a cool cultural institution rather than a stuffy silent space so it wouldn't always be that it would just be sort of evening events that's that's what's so great about lates is that it's a way to make something that's quite big and highbrow feel accessible and fun and then once you're in the space you feel that you we belong and maybe you'll come back in the day so that was sort of how I was thinking maybe we could reframe or invite people to think about it differently I love that that's awesome that's half the battle isn't it half the battle is telling people that when you go into that library or that space there's going to be people like you in there as well you know you're not just Mm. going to be surrounded by you know, let's say even kids, kids just studying and feel really odd that the fact that you're, you know, in the library. So I guess, you know, creating the lates or other type of, um, you know, branded occasions symbolizes the, the type of people you'd be getting. So therefore makes it yeah. much more of a guarantee. Yeah, which I like. I like that a lot. Yeah. All right. We've got some pretty decent ideas rocking around. So I'm quite uh, I, I think I we're going to make these ideas happen. <laughs> These are, these are, I'm really like looking forward to going to a library that has all these things now. And sadly, you're not going to be, be welcome. No library in the UK is going to welcome you after what you said about librarians. You're going to be barred. My, my library card is marked. Yeah. Thank goodness it's only voices on podcasts now. <laughs> oh, but no, you're right. I feel pumped too. Like it's a thing I haven't really given much thought to in my life but it is something that's played a role and is important and it's lovely to spend some time considering how we can protect it so I'm gonna have to wrap up but I have had a wonderful time if you're listening to this and you're thinking oh my god there's a great way to save libraries that they haven't thought of yet get in touch with us we're going to put all our LinkedIn profiles on the show notes so that you can connect with us and you can continue talking. If you have ideas for challenges that you'd like us to address in future episodes, then let us know. And all that's left to say is thank you to Sarah for joining us today. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, speak to you soon. 